to session two of the Radical Christ series that we are exploring on the Wounded Angels Network. Um, we spoke last time about some of the foundations of what it means to be radical, to go to the root of, and we spoke a little bit about Carl Jung saying uh, when he was asked, do you believe in God? He said, I don't believe I know, and we explored Gnosis. Now, today I want to come at this discussion again, just setting a framework before we really delve into um, the radical Christ concept in itself. I want to speak a, a bit about the evolution and development of human consciousness because that is critical to our understanding of how the whole religious process functions and, and, and the radical Christ is part of that. So at some stage um, hominids, early hominids, walk out of Africa, out of the Great Rift Valley probably, somewhere around Ethiopia, and they head um, into the Middle East and they begin to travel all over um, into the north, um, around the Mediterranean, um, and somewhere around that time there is the development of a specific kind of human called Homo sapiens. Um, the Homo sapien means the wise person, the wise man, in fact, literally. Homo man sapiens wise. And some of the earliest um, marks and signs, because obviously coming to this tens of thousands of years later, all we can do is look for signs of this consciousness. Um, there's, there's no record of it, there's no video made, there's no satellite uh, photograph of, of what was happening. So we have to piece it together like, like detectives with little clues here and there. And of course one of the major finds have been um, engravings that have been made in caves, particularly in France, the caves at Lascaux, and there are also caves in northern Spain. And if you want to read more about this, um, there is a man called John Pfeiffer who wrote a most magnificent book called The Creative Explosion. Uh, Pfeiffer, an anthropologist, uh, went and crawled around these ancient caves um, looking for the signs of these um, habitations by these early um, Neanderthals and Homo sapiens. There's a whole other story there. The Neanderthals eventually go extinct, but that doesn't concern us here. But, but early, early men, um, Homo sapiens, men and women, um, begin to make marks of and record um, the, the things that they are now conscious of. And, and we're looking probably at about 60,000 years ago when these cave paintings at, in France, in Lascaux, happen. Um, and, and then there is this most amazing, uh, one of those happy accidents. Um, what, what Pfeiffer discovers is that a lot of these paintings um, that have been done in the cave are, are made not just around the entrance to the cave where there would be light, 
but are made very far and deep in the cave um, where there must have been some form of lighting for the artists to even work. And of course by then um, Homo sapiens had fire so so the idea would be that they would carry a torch or there would be fires uh, deep in the cave and from the charcoal and from some of the pigments that they have learned from the rocks they begin to make pictures and they make pictures about uh, mam woolly mammoths and they make pictures about bison this is in the ice age and these are all the animals that they have hunted but uh, Pfeiffer still can't figure out um, exactly the purpose of these of these pictures on the wall and then the happy accident happens and the torch that they are using the electronic torch fails uh, battery failure or something goes wrong and the torch goes out and immediately his assistants light oil lamps <laughs> so now instead of electric permanent light like the light you've got shining on me now there's the flickering of a flame and suddenly the pictures on the wall begin to move and and a picture on this side of the wall kind of flickers and is in response to one of the animals on the other side of the wall and there's this experience of animation enlivenment anima being spirit um, animation so Walt Disney, it starts way back there, 60,000 years before. And of course, it's hard for us to imagine uh, the wonder of that. And because we are living after Walt Disney, we are living after Pixar, we are living after all these incredible effects that we are able to create. Um, even me here sitting at home, working with a green screen so that I can put all sorts of images behind me. Um, so it's hard for us to imagine what awe and wonder there must have been for those early Homo sapiens to see these figures moving. I had a similar experience um, some years ago when I was backpacking in India. I ended up um, at the temple of Murugan um, in, a, in, a, 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 in southern Tamil Nadu uh, at the town of Palani. There's a very famous temple to Murugan and I slogged my way up the 300 and something steps um, to go to the temple early, early in the morning and uh, experience kind of what you'd have going into a big stadium. Those kind of almost like cattle crushes, you know, where you get corralled and you've got to go around and around and around. Uh, and then I saw if I paid an extra 10 rupees, I could get fast tracked because there were, there were not a lot of pilgrims, but there were a couple of hundred going up. So, um, so I fast tracked myself, obviously, with 10 rupees. Um, and and thought I was going to get a front row seat because you see I'm going there as a westerner thinking I'm going to watch some ritual and in my head I'm thinking church or even cathedral but I'm certainly going to watch a ritual being enacted well uh, nothing of the sort I, I had been told I had to buy bananas and a coconut and various gifts and some ash um, when I started climbing from one of the vendors at the bottom of the stairs to the temple at the bottom of the mountain so I was standing in the, in the queue waiting to get my seat to watch this show <laughs> when a priest came up and grabbed the bag asked for the name of who I was wanting to bless through the sacrifice and he disappeared the next thing I'm in this long line and suddenly 
I'm confronted with a small alcove, literally the size that I am here. And inside the alcove, quite far back, is a very indistinct rock figure covered with wax. Um, in Hindu tradition, it's called a murti. It's a, it's a, it's a symbol. It's a, it's a, it's a sculpture. But this is an ancient, ancient sculpture. Can hardly make out the fact that it's representing a human. Um, and again, I have this thing about what does this mean? I mean, there's no ritual here, and and the people, the devotees in front of me are are amazed to just see the murti, just to have contact with the murti, kind of in the way that a Catholic would cross themselves at a holy place. It was that kind of thing. Um, and again, it's not making sense to me until the priest standing nearby comes close with a lamp and he moves it in front of the murti. And again, I have that flame experience and I see the murti dance and it comes alive. And this was before I'd read uh, Pfeiffer's work and, and I have that same basic thought about in a pre-video film animation world, a pre-celluloid and electronic world, this must have created awe and wonder. The, the murti moves. The cave painting moves. It moves, you see, in our consciousness. We are at our heart, and this was the great contribution of Jung and, and a major doorway into our understanding of all our religious practices. We are at our being, at the core of our being, in our collective unconscious. We are symbolic beings. That is why we dream. That is why we can imagine and so as these symbolic beings and as these conscious beings, homo sapiens, we are able to communicate with each other. We are able to animate and have animated visions of concepts and, and notions and thoughts. And it's at this point that I want to introduce another name into this conversation, and that is Professor Emeritus Don Cuppet, who um, was at Cambridge University and, and who did remarkable work around the whole idea. He was a theologian. But, but Cuppet's major contribution to my understanding has been that there is no religion that has ever been on this planet, and many of them have gone extinct, no longer exist. Of all the religions that exist on the planet right now, and of all the religions that haven't even come into being yet, there's not a single religion that has come out of any other place than humans having conversations with each other. Just think about that for a moment. There's no religion that has come in a spaceship or fallen from the sky, no matter what stories we may tell about the origins of the religions. But religion has been created by humans talking to each other and saying, I wonder what that means. I wonder what it means that that, that mountain is, is spewing fire out of it. Uh, that's very scary. Um, how do we make it stop? Uh, maybe we should throw babies into the volcano. 
oh, we threw babies in and it stopped. So, so next time, next time the, the volcano erupts or gets angry, uh, maybe we'll throw some more babies in. And it's the beginning of ritual. It's the beginning of religion. So no religion has come into being, including Christianity, other than through human beings talking to each other and saying, what does this mean? We are symbolic creatures who want to animate our symbols. And so Pfeiffer in the caves of Leco and Don Cuppet saying it's in our human conversation bring us to this understanding of human consciousness. There's one more thing I want to add. The third thing, so it's we can animate our, our symbols and we have conversations with each other and we create theories which become religions. The third thing I want to introduce is the, the notion that we are the only species we know of. Homo sapiens are the only beings on the planet that have a consciousness that is able to imagine what isn't present. So let's take our pet domestic animals, our, our pets at home, our dog or our cat. Um, we love to think that our, our animals um, think about us and they imagine us. The truth is that for all animals that we know of, all other species that we know of, they can only be conscious of what is in their mind. They have memory, they have memory, but they are unable of abstract sort. They cannot imagine what isn't there. So when we appear and our dog sees us and goes, oh, yay, you're back. And what they're actually saying is food, food, food. Here's the feeder. Or our cat um, aloofly acknowledges that we might be present. <laughs> That's not abstract thought. Only humans can think about people that aren't there. We're the only ones who can imagine what's not present. And that enables us to project into other realms, the animated symbols. Now, now what is this all about, Peter, you say? Well, it's about consciousness because when we became aware of being conscious, when we became conscious of being conscious, it was an overwhelming experience to suddenly like, oh my word, I'm here and I know that I'm here and I can actually know that I'm here and when somebody who was here isn't here, I know that they're not here. That abstract thinking, when somebody dies, I can still recall them, I can remember them, I can bring them back. What is that? They're appearing in my dreams. They, they are dead, but they're back. This kind of consciousness is at one level overwhelming, but at another level, because we can think about abstract things, we project some of this consciousness away from ourselves. It's, it's too much for us to handle inside of us, and we push it outside. We push it onto plants and animals and rocks and trees and we make them alive and divine. And for a while we worship them and we think they've got power. But slowly and little by little we begin to project the sense of this beingness that was all inside of us. We project it outwards. 
into the heavens and there's the beginning of God. This notion that there is life and we're aware of life, but this life is so much bigger, so much bigger than we can imagine, that we have to put part of it outside of ourselves. And that overwhelming part, that, that reality about life in all its fullness, we call God. And then we have these conversations about it and we talk about it and we create rituals around it and we create religions around it. And, and we speculate about how it is um, in these worlds of, of heaven and hell and Valhalla and, and Nirvana. And, but it's all us pushing it outside of ourselves because it's overwhelming to think that it's all just happening inside of us in our consciousness. So what's this got to do with the radical Christ? Well, you see the radical nature of Jesus and the time at which Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, comes into human consciousness. It's around the notion that this God who has now become quite remote, far away, whether you call him Zeus uh, or you call him Nkulunkulu, um, as we do in Africa, or Tiko, or Kamata, um, all these ancestral gods of Africa, these faraway gods, either in the earth or in the sky. In Jesus, we have this reversal, and we call it the incarnation, where this consciousness of God turns and begins to return once again into humanity into a human form, no longer projected outwards, but back into ourselves. And so we begin to realize that we are the temple. We don't need a temple out there. We don't need an unanimated murti. We don't need a dancing cave painting. We can have this consciousness of God that our forefathers and mothers pushed outside of us, of themselves. We can now allow it back in. We are the temples. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. It's within our consciousness that we begin to have the experience of the I am. I am. Oh, wait a minute. That's the name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush when Moses said, hey, who are you that's giving me this job of going to Egypt and getting the people out of Egypt? And God said, tell them I am that I am sent you. Yahweh, Jehovah, I am that I am. And so in the incarnation of Jesus, we have this return to this wonder of saying, oh, I am. Just that acknowledgement of being unites me with all of life. I'm not alone here in my little room making a video and having to Facebook my friends who are far away and pretending that we're having a relationship, whereas I'm so lonely and I'm so isolated. No, 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 no. I am. I'm part of, I'm part of everything. I'm part of consciousness. I'm part of life. And, and, I, and I know it's real and I know it's in me. Sadly, sadly, the Christian church didn't leave that understanding alive very long. And we spoke in the first session about how all these heresies were, were declared to be unacceptable because, uh, because, well, 
you know you can't control people and you can't regulate people and you can't make money out of people um, if, if they all think that they've got the temple inside them and they don't have to come to any temple and they, they can just be aware of God in themselves without any ritual well so very early on in the dogma of the church and in the teaching of the church you have this doctrine of the ascension so so if we can just go back to consciousness, we become aware and overwhelmed 60,000 years ago of this wow, then push some of this divinity outside, worship it outside in heaven eventually. Uh, then in Jesus, the incarnation, the return back into the flesh. I am, I am, God is in me, I am in the temple, I am the temple. I don't have to make sacrifices in another temple. God, I am the kingdom here. And the church goes, oh, this isn't going to work. So what we have to do is we've got to get Jesus out of here. Exit stage left. In fact, not actually exit stage left in the drama. Exit vertical. And the ascension says, uh, you know what? He's gone back up there. And if you're really good, he'll come back one day. And if you're really, really good, then you'll have a place with him in his new heaven and new earth and we have all this projection again of it's not happening now you can't really be with God now you've got to first earn it say the right words give your life to Jesus um, be born again follow all these little fundamentalist rituals and then you may have a glimpse Huh. I don't know. If I understand the radical Christ, the radical Christ consciousness um, was not taken away by any doctrine of the ascension. Because I'm sure like me, you have had moments when you have known that the I am is real and in you and you have been conscious of it and I want to suggest as we move on in this series that that is the most wonderful thing about Jesus because Jesus comes incarnates in us becomes one of us and we'll talk more about this in the next session but Jesus becomes so fully human so that God is once again inside of us and if we now have a look at the radical Christ, we begin to see that this Jesus might just be the map of a fully human life. With all that consciousness over all those years from jumping little um, flickering flame images, shadow images in a cave and murtis in India, um, through rituals and all those things that were necessary, 2000 years of uh, church and ritual that was all important we're not throwing anything away we're keeping it all together but in this day and age we have the possibility of of not having Jesus ascended far far away but having him here in our temple and in our lives so I look forward to continuing this conscious <laughs> exploration with you thank you for your attention <laughs>